This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who at one point owned Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. It's been a while, but we're back. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky. With me, as always, Brian Kahn. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. We're back on a Monday. Our schedule is going to be back to normal next week as Elon is back from vacation. Just so you know, just so you appreciate the dedication to this podcast by... One of your hosts, at least, Elon, got off a plane like an hour and a half ago and like got right home. He was up till 3.30 a.m. prepping the show, getting things ready for me, and also organizing everything for the Cupful playoffs, which are happening now. What a guy. Thank you for the kudos, Brian. This show is very important to me, as it is to you, as it is to hopefully our listeners. And another thing that's really important to me before we get into all of our content for this week is DobberHockey.com, because it's the best fantasy hockey website out there and pretty much the resource that I use to make a lot of my fantasy hockey decisions. You've got your daily ramblings where you're getting updates on all of the news from the previous day. Then, of course, the starting goalies at Goalie Post. By the way, I subscribe to notifications for all 30 teams' goalie updates, just because I want to know right away if something happens or if a starting goalie gets announced. Then you've got the line combinations, the frozen pools, Everything you need, it's all there, DauberHockey.com. When we do the show live, I have a couple tabs open all the time for reference. And at least two of those couple tabs, I should have said a few tabs, at least two of them are dedicated to Dauber Hockey, the site, Frozen Pool, so many good resources and tools. If you don't like what they're writing, that's one thing. I mean, you should, but then you can make your own reports and do your own research. It's all there at DauberHockey.com. What a site! Okay. Let's get going, Brian. So much to get through since it's been, I guess, a week and a half since we did our last show. And obviously, there's been a lot of fantasy news stories and hot streaks and cold streaks and injuries and outdoors. We've got it all. We're ready to go. Let's start in Ottawa, where there is way too much injury news all of a sudden. Like, it was announced yesterday that Bobby Ryan has a hand injury and he'll be out indefinitely. So that was already a bummer. But at least it was announced before the game. And also Bobby Ryan. I mean, how good has he really been this year? Like, not a huge fantasy impact there. Then all of a sudden, we found out that Mike Hoffman left the game versus Winnipeg with a lower body injury. And then Mark Stone left the game later on after a headshot from Jacob Truba, who, by the way, has been suspended for two games. Here's a quote from Ottawa coach Guy Boucher. Everything is a disaster, but tomorrow is another day. So he was trying to be positive while also freaking everybody out. 
But hey, already there's been news that Stone and Hoffman have been traveling with the team, as well as Tommy Wingles, apparently, who also got injured. It's just a crazy game for the Sens. But let's start by looking at some of these players themselves. Let's use this as an opportunity to check in on the Ottawa Senators and some of these guys who've gotten injured. we got to start with Mark Stone. He's having such an amazing season. He scored yesterday before the injury, and he had a goal and four assists the game before versus Toronto, which brings him up to 47 points in 56 games on the season, which is a 69-point pace. Mark Stone, he's a 70-point guy now. We kind of thought that he would be able to take that leap this year, but I don't know if people thought he'd be able to jump this high. Obviously, when you have a five-point game, that maybe boosts your pace a little bit more than maybe is reality, but still, Mark Stone has been having an amazing season. Keep in mind, he started the season with only five points in his first 12 games, so if my math is correct, that means he has 42 points in his last 44 games, almost a point-per-game pace. Basically, he's a superstar. So that makes this hit from Jacob Truba all the more devastating. Hopefully Stone is okay. Great to hear that he's traveling with the team. There's going to be an update tomorrow. Hoffman has been up and down on the year, right? He has 39 points in 52 games overall, which is a 61-point pace, but he's had a lot of hot and cold stretches. He's had stretches where he's been getting so many points, lots of shots on goal, which is always great. He has over three shots per game on average. Then, like I said, Bobby Ryan, he hasn't been doing much. Anyways, that's the big rundown of all of these guys. But, Brian, I want to know what's the fantasy impact here. And we don't know if they're even going to be out for long. But if, let's say, Stone and Hoffman run for a while, I'd imagine this would be horrible news for Ottawa's top centermen, Kyle Tourist and Derek Broussard, who lose all of their good wingers. Yeah, they well, they lost some good ones. And there's not really great replacements coming up the pipeline. Let's start, Elon, just a quick rundown. Bobby Ryan, still a half point per game guy for the most part on the season with some power play time, so there's some value there. Mike Hoffman, in his last 10 games, has scored just two goals, but on his last 35 shots, so those shots are still coming. And Mark Stone, as you let off the show with, he is a bona fide star, helped by his five-point performance the game before the Winnipeg one. Elon, did you know that was the fifth five-point outing by a player this season? There's a player in the NHL who has done it twice this year. Can you name him? Well, I see in the doc that you used an acronym BM, which makes me think it's probably Brad Marchand. It is Brad Marchand. Max Pacioretty and Nicholas Backstrom have each done it one this year. But anyway, back to Mark Stone. When he's healthy, guaranteed to get you more than 60 points, likely 65. And yeah, we're getting ever closer to 70. He is the 21st highest scoring forward since the start of the 2014 season. And that ranking stays that way in all situations, points per 60 minutes as well. He has maintained a 67-point full-season pace over the last three years. So you can't replace him very easily. I'm not surprised to hear that he and Hoffman are traveling with the team. There's one team that makes me really nervous about how they handle player concussions. Well, I guess it's probably all 30 of them. But the Sens have done this before with Mark Stone. It happened earlier this season or late last season. I can't remember the specific occasion. I think it might have been preseason where he got concussed and he was traveling with the team right away and he came back really quickly. It looks like they're hoping that'll happen again. Of course, we don't have a ton of insight into what's going to happen. So let's just think what if he's out for any period of time. Uh, Who's left to play aside from Ryan Hoffman Stone? I think Ryan Dezingle... And Zach Smith are probably your best candidates to take on bigger roles. Um, Maybe it's a good chance to give Curtis Lazar a shot, if even just a showcase with the perpetual undying belief that he has so much to offer the Sens or some other NHL team, even though he has just a point on the season. So yeah, point taken. There's not going to be a lot for Kyle Turris and Derek Broussard to work with. They're either going to have to step up and shoulder the load themselves or just suffer a little more in their offensive numbers. And I imagine the latter is a little more likely than the former. 
Yeah, Kyle in our patron-only Facebook group was saying that he thinks that Broussard is going to step up now and you should go and grab him because he's going to have a bigger responsibility. But I feel like he was playing with Mark Stone as his right winger. Now, like you said, maybe he'll get Zach Smith or Dezingle, but Tourist also needs guys to play with. So I can't imagine how Broussard could do any better. Like Broussard had been having a pretty weak season. He's actually on a nice run lately. He has five points in his last three games, 10 in his last 14, but only a 46-point pace on the season overall. So maybe Broussard will do better just because he's been doing so badly that he has to rectify the situation because we all thought he would be at least a 50-point guy. It's crazy that he's below a 50-point pace at this point. But yeah, I'd imagine this would not be good news for the centerman in Ottawa. I'd imagine maybe this is even not good news for a guy like Eric Carlson. He's got a point-per-game pace over the last month, but can he expect to really keep that up if they lose two of their superstars? Then, of course, one more place to look is in nets ottawa recently had craig anderson return to the lineup which is obviously great news for the team and anderson gets to keep going with his amazing season he's been having he had a shutout against the islanders with 33 saves in his return to the lineup then he lost to buffalo 3-2 but then beat toronto 6-3 so that gives him a 937 save percentage over the three games he's played so far mike condon had a shutout over new jersey earlier this week but overall hasn't been that great over the last month he has an 897 save percentage in 10 games over that span so it's definitely craig anderson's net but it might be a little harder for him to get wins if Ottawa has these injuries. But again, hopefully by the time you listen to this, you'll already know that the injuries are fine and the Sens are just going to keep rolling. And yeah, I definitely wanted to point out that you got to grab Craig Anderson at this point. He's clearly back and doing just fine. And Mike Condon, total snoozer, right? Yeah, you'd think so. Well, I thought so. I thought Anderson would nearly run the table for starting in the Sens net for the rest of the year. But Condon started two of five since Anderson returned. So maybe I've got that a little wrong, though there's no doubt in my mind, that the Sens' playoff hopes rest on Anderson's shoulders. He's had two very good starts and one not-so-great start since his return. Uh, He has a 9.25 on the season. I don't think he is a 9.25 goalie on the whole, but he can be for short periods of time, a little more likely than some other guys in the NHL who never really get up to that level. I imagine his time off was pretty stressful, but on the other hand, he's likely got less wear on his body than he ever has by this point of the season. And maybe that works in his favor. So maybe that helps him post an above league average save percentage. We'll see. But yeah, the danger is for any Sens goalie, whoever's in net, fewer wins is the likely outcome for a thin Sens lineup if this half of the top six remains out for any extended amount of time. Yeah, so that's the Ottawa Senators rundown here. Let's move on to another big injury in Pittsburgh. Justin Schultz, he also has a concussion. Actually, we don't know if Mark Stone has a concussion. But yeah, another concussion happening in the league, this time to Justin Schultz, which is such a bummer for him. There's no timetable for his return right now. And we've talked about how great he's been all year. Like, there's not even a point of us repeating his numbers. He's been such a surprise. I think at one point we were saying he was like the top-scoring defenseman over a certain stretch recently. Anyway, it's worth pointing out that the previous game before his injury, he was bumped from the top power play in favor of Latang, and Schultz was also pointless in that game and the game before. So maybe a slowdown was going to happen. Brian, remember like three months ago when Justin Schultz started to heat up that you said that you think he's going to slow down? Maybe you were right and it just took a bit longer. But of course, now we won't know because he's injured. This just makes it all the more obvious that Chris Latang will step back into the role that clearly he deserves, right? Like Chris Latang is so good. He has 10 points in his last nine games. He's just amazing when he's healthy. He's like an elite fantasy defenseman. He's showing it lately. If only he could stay healthy, he would be the type of guy you'd want to draft super high in your leagues. But maybe people who bought low on him while he was injured, they're reaping the rewards now. Or maybe even people who sold him are feeling like, whatever, he's doing well. I knew he would, but I don't want to take the risk of him getting injured. I'd say normally when a guy like Justin Schultz gets injured, if you know you're doing well in your league, I'd say buy low at this point. But I don't know, maybe you shouldn't because maybe his run of production is over even when he comes back. What do you think, Brian? You traded Chris Letang recently. 
How do you feel about that trade at this point now that Justin Schultz is injured and Crystal Tang is producing so much? Okay, so first off, because that question makes me feel silly and annoyed, I'll go back to something where I need to humble myself as well. You, you gave me, I, well, I think you were joking. It was very tongue-in-cheek that what I said three months ago is now happening. And so maybe I was right. And let's ignore all that Justin Schultz production that happened soon after I said that. Don't get too excited. He kept up a really great pace for months after I said I wasn't a believer. And that's to his credit and against my own. When he's healthy, I think he can keep up a 35, 40-point pace, even if he's off that top power play unit. So you can buy low if that works for you, but it's a weird time to buy low at this point in the season with someone who's concussed. As for Latang Elon, I asked our Facebook group about the deal right before I pulled the trigger. I felt like it was in my favor. And then right after I offered it and it was accepted, you commented and suggested I offer Mark Giordano instead. And I really wish I would have driven a harder bargain. I think I had leverage. It was a bit of a Hail Mary deal for me anyway, since I think I was pretty far behind for a variety of excuses that nobody really cares about. I did deal him for Johnny Gaudreau, and then I upgraded my Steen to Anze Kopitar in the deal. But both those guys have stunk, and Latang is firmly back on the top power play unit and still healthy. So I guess I have to feel okay about it. I dealt with the worst of Latang's season, so it sucks to have everything going right for him right now. But again, like you said, I got rid of him. I got rid of that injury risk. So if you have Latang, I don't know. I feel like you should hang on to him. Of course, you'll kick yourself if and when he does get injured again. Yeah, I just really hope Latang gets to stay healthy for the rest of the season. I would love to see what he could do with a full season. How many points could he get? I don't know. Maybe we'll never know. And anyway, since we're on Pittsburgh, let's take a look at the lines in the last game. We've had some outjuries there, like Malkin is back, Haglin is back. They were running Crosby with Gensel and then either Hornquist or Kunitz. I see that halfway through the game, they sort of switched those two up. We were excited about Kunitz playing with Crosby, but maybe he's been bumped for someone like Gensel. So that would obviously be a big bump for Gensel, big drop for Kunis, and they were running Malkin with Haglin and then either Hornquist or Kessel, and then Wilson and Benino with either Kessel or Kunitz. So maybe things are up in the air and you have to wait before making any long-term decisions about the Penguins. Brian, at this point, like Gensel has been okay. He had an assist yesterday versus Detroit, three points in his last five games. Nothing amazing, but maybe the best you could hope for from a guy like Jake Gensel, and obviously playing with Crosby, anyone could get points. I wonder now, who's your favorite Penguin that's not on the top power play? Like, of course, you've got Crosby, Malkin, Kessel, Hornquist, and Chris Letang. If you could have any other penguin obviously not counting matt murray as well who would you want at this point i should mention connor shiri has been skating and he's three weeks into his four to six week timetable so maybe you don't want to jump on gensel for the long term because shiri could bump him once he comes back but okay let's leave shiri out as well is there anyone else from the penguins that maybe you would pick up in the short term aside from the guys i just mentioned so i have chris kunitz i might swap him out if it's not a hits league for Jake Gensel at this point, who is a half point per game guy and seems to be a little cozier with his spot in the lineup over the last game or two than Kunitz has looked with his. Kunitz is still getting some shots and several hits. So if that works for you, great. He was a minus four in their last game against Detroit, which is pretty bad. And then, of course, the obligatory Carl Haglin mentioned. I know he never does anything, but if you're just looking for shots, Haglin had five of them in his first game back from being injured which happens semi-frequently. Then he had no shots in his next game in only 13 minutes. Feast or famine is a theme for him. He has big occasional bursts, but he averages just about two shots on goal per game. On average, he did play with Hornquist and Malkin last game, so that's a little promising for point production, but it has not been a great season for him, and he's not reliably a big shooter. So you can try and catch a big game from him 
But if you want to go the steady, dependable route, I would prefer Gensel. Yeah, I think all of these guys pretty much will not stay on anyone's roster for the rest of the season. Like maybe Connor Shearer, when he comes back, if he can get back with Crosby and keep putting up that, what, 65, 70-point pace he was putting up, he's the guy I want that's not on the top power play in Pittsburgh. And Justin Schultz, I don't know. I feel like if you could sell him now and tell people once he comes back, he's going to continue with that production, I think I would maybe do that because maybe Chris Letang was getting eased back into the lineup. And we saw, like I said, that Schultz was losing that power play time. Anyway, obviously, we could talk about a bunch more injuries, but that's boring. There's nothing too big else to discuss. So why don't we go to some roster changes? Or I'm not ever sure how to label this, but a coaching change, a big one, I guess. Out of Montreal, we've got Michelle Therrien fired, Claude Julien hired. Of course, we know Julien was just fired by Boston just a week before. So big change over in Montreal. There's only been one game so far. It was on Saturday, and it was a 3-1 to loss to Winnipeg. And in fact, Montreal hasn't been scoring a lot of goals lately at all. They've scored either zero, one or two goals in seven of their last eight games. Three of those games have been shutouts. So a lot of trouble. The lines that Claude Julien ran in his first game as the coach of the halves were Radulov, Pacioretty and Galchenyuk. So loading up the top line and then Byron, Gallagher and Placanitz. Poor Brendan Gallagher can't catch a break. They also had Pacioretty, Radulov, Shaw, Markov and Weber on the top power play. And then they put Galchenyuk and Gallagher on the second power play with like Bolio and Petrie and uh, Thomas Placanitz. So we'll see. Obviously, since the Habs only scored one goal in that game, I don't know if we should lock in and say these are the new lines moving forward. But I'd say probably good news or bad news for Galchenyuk if this were to stick, like good line, but off the top power play. Galchenyuk obviously has slowed down a lot. Like since he came back from his injury, or at least his last injury, he only has three points in eight games. But of course, that makes sense since Montreal has been like shut out three of those games. But I wonder if it's possible for someone like Galchenyuk to get back to that almost point per game pace he was putting up before with Montreal slowing down, not being able to score as much like Radulov also. We were so excited about him. He had a goal and an assist seven games ago versus Washington. But aside from that, he hasn't been doing much of anything lately. That's one good game in a sea of zero point games. Not even many shots from Radulov lately. Only 14 shots in his last 10 games. Brian, you already talked about Weber slowing down in the last episode. Pretty much only Max Pacioretty has been producing. And that includes Carey Price, by the way, who has an 898 save percentage over the last two months. That's 20 games. Like, I don't even know where we want to go with the Habs right now. I'm just sort of pointing out how everyone has been bad. At this point, do we have to come up with new expectations for a lot of these superstar guys? Like, do we have to expect that Radulov's going to keep this lower pace moving forward? Same with Galchenyuk, same with Weber. Or do you think there's any sign, maybe the new coach, something could happen where all of these former superstars, fantasy superstars at least, will be able to get back to producing like they were at the beginning of the year? Anyone who's hoping the coaching change is going to jolt the lineup back into productivity I mean, it could work. It could happen. On the last episode, I went off a couple times about how the Habs lineup hadn't been delivering at all, and maybe they were tired and run down was my theory. thought the bye week would be some good medicine for that. And some Habs beat writers, like Brian Wilde and Eric Engels, they were saying similar things. In fact, when the Habs slumped hard last year, uh, writers and fans pinned a lot of it on Michelle Terrien, and rightfully so. But in this year's edition of the Habs midwinter slump, Uh, The beat writers are definitely pinning it on the players, and I haven't seen a whole lot of disagreement. It did seem like Tarion had made some real legitimate adjustments and that players needed to come around on their own. I mean, yeah, he was using Galchenyuk and Gallagher in weird ways. Galchenyuk specifically didn't look like he deserved much better, though, than what he was being offered. Anyway, regardless of whose fault it was, Tarion's gone now, and that has been, I think, immediately good to Galchenyuk. I think he needs to get back on that top line to get his game going with Radulov and Pacioretty. And I'm still just on the overarching theme of what's going to happen with Montreal. I'm still going to go with the hope that the bye week does every have some good 
You mentioned Weber specifically. Also, Michel Therrien definitely committed big to Weber. I don't know if he had a choice. I don't think Julian has any choice now, but to do the same. And now we get to play the fun game of wondering if Therrien was fired last season and Julian brought in, would the Habs still have P.K. Subban? I don't know. Sorry, Habs fans who still (laughs) like P.K. Subban a lot. Well, you know, I mean, you can't apologize to the Habs fans too much. Like, they still are first in their division. So they're probably, or they're almost definitely going to make the playoffs. It's very interesting for a coach to be fired on a team that is so high in the standings. But of course, they've been struggling lately. Like I said, okay, Brian, we'll have to wait and see kind of what happens with the superstar Habs. I'd say don't sell low just yet. Let's wait and see what happens with the new coach. But some guys, I think like Gallagher, he might be a snoozer at this point. Like, if you held on to him all the way through his injury, he has no points, five shots in the two games since returning, not on a good line. Maybe he could get on a line with like a patch ready and things could happen for him not a total snoozer but definitely someone you should be watching and considering letting go especially if you're in a tight matchup and you need production now i'd say like a guy like jeff petrie is a snoozer i know a lot of people picked him up earlier and were really excited about him as a really stealth ad that was getting some points and also a lot of nice peripherals but like he's not getting any points now and the hits and blocks have been drying up as well so i'd say let go of petrie and i mentioned carrie price brian i gotta ask you at this point carrie price everyone says he's the best goalie in the world he was acting like it at the start of this season and last season before he got injured. Is it worth trying to buy low on him now? It seems so obvious, right? Oh yeah, make a low ball offer for Carey Price. He's Carey Price. At the same time, he plays for the Habs. It's, I don't know, like I know you're probably going to roll your eyes at me here, but is there something to the idea that maybe he's not going to be able to be so, so amazing and maybe someone would be smart if they have him to sell him now while his stock is still so high because of his name? I understand that Carey Price has rarely looked as human as he has over the last little while. Again, I think you've got to give it the bye week. And with Carey Price, you can give him like six months. Like if he stinks for the rest of the season, I would still try and buy low. I still think there's a very good chance that he is the best goalie in the world. As for Jeff Beatry, I'm a little more in agreement with you there. His peripherals were the reason to hold him and wait for the next point whenever it came but now you likely have free agents who are doing better than his combined two to three hits and blocks per night. That's not each, that's combined. So like one hit, two blocks. And he's also seen five straight games where he's seen less ice time than his season average of 22 minutes. Again, let's see how things shake out after the break, but he seems like a safe drop. Hold on to Carey Price though. Okay. Yeah, I mean, well, the break is over. Habs play three times next week, so we'll be finding out very soon. It'll be fun to maybe check back in next episode or the one after that. Okay, another roster change. We have Oliver Bjorkstrand, who was called up again by Columbus. It's like the third or fourth time this has happened. He got called up when Hartnell got injured, but he's remained on the team, even though Scott Hartnell is back. And right now, Bjorkstrand is finally making an impact. He's played three games so far in this recent stint, scored a goal on three shots versus Toronto, nothing versus Pittsburgh, but then a goal on six shots yesterday versus Nashville. And he played 17 minutes and 13 seconds in that game, which is the most in the seven games he's played this season. And of course, why are we talking about Oliver Bjorkstrand? This is a guy who was going into the season we thought was going to be a rookie that could really make an impact, someone we were excited about. And then he quickly slumped, wasn't in the top six and got dropped to the minors very, very quickly. But now that he's up, he was put right onto the Wenberg line initially. And it was Wenberg with Sad and Oliver Bjorkstrand. And then recently, Felino got back on that line, and it was Brandon Sad who got bumped to the bottom six. So either way, Bjorkstrand has been there. He's also been on the second power play unit with like Dubinsky and Hartnell and Sad and Jones. By the way, we talked about last week how good Dubinsky has been, and he kept it up last week. So great for him. Anyways, Oliver Bjorkstrand, is he worth a flyer right now if he's in the top six? Lots of hype going into the season for him, like I said, but also... Now I think that's dried up and it's a good opportunity to grab a free agent who potentially could give you like a good amount of shots and some points on a good line. Yeah, the fact that the Blue Jackets are bumping other guys around and out of the top six to make room for him definitely makes him look like someone 
who has the organization's favor on his side at the moment. So as long as he's hanging on to a spot in the top six, certainly worth a flyer with those shot counts and with at least a point in his last three games, which is to think maybe he can put up another in his next three games or more. Yeah, so I think he's someone you should watch, maybe add if you have room to take a flyer. Who knows if he'll be able to even stay on the team, let alone in the top six. But while he's there, he's doing pretty well. And we liked him a lot last year. Look at his numbers from last year. It was a really good point pace for the short stretch that he was there. Anyways, obviously bad news for Felino or Saad, whoever ends up staying out of the top six. I wonder if Saad could be like a snoozer in disguise right now. I don't know if that's a new saying that I've just coined. His ice time has been dropping. He's potentially out of the top six, and he's not on the top power play. Like, that's the bad news. He's got three points in his last four games, but he had a couple long, quiet stretches before that. So right now, he might sort of look like he's doing okay, but his situation to me is a little bit concerning, especially if Felino stays in the top six and Saad goes down to be playing with the likes of Josh Anderson or whoever. So, Brian, do you think people should right now be trying to sell Saad? Like, am I right about this? Or do you think, nah, he's good. Don't worry about it. He'll keep up the pace that he's been putting up for the rest of the season. Well, way to casually mention Josh Anderson, just sliding his name in there like it's a guy we all know and talk about so often. Josh Anderson on Columbus. Brandon Saad, uh, he's worked his tail off all year. And he's won our praise because of it. He's tied for seventh in the league in even strength points right now. And that ranking holds the same in even strength points per 60 for all forwards who've played more than 700 minutes. Now, with all those even strength points coming pretty sustainably and no participation by Saad in that red-hot Columbus power play to start the year, he seems to be one of the more regression-proof Blue Jackets, but there you go. He just had four goals and four assists for eight points in his last 22 games. Playing out of the top six would be a reason to finally lose patience if you're on the verge of doing so with his less than half point per game production over the last month plus. That said, I still think he's got more to offer. I think he can continue a 55, maybe even 60 point pace through the rest of the year. 60 points is probably a tall task without that power play time, but I think he can come back strong with his even strength play. So yeah, I definitely get the temptation about dropping him and I get the snoozer in disguise thing because he has great numbers on the air. And you might still want to hold on to him to hope that something's going to come. I guess in a shallower league, could be a good time to cycle him out. I would feel compelled to give him another week or two on my roster, especially if my playoffs haven't started yet and I'm in a decent spot in the standings. Yeah, maybe you don't drop him, but maybe time to put out a feeler, see if you could sell for someone who maybe is on a cold streak. I don't know, like a Kopitar or something. Like, I don't know. You'll, you'll never be able to pull that off. But I guess you never I've heard of crazier trades that people tweeted us. Anyway, since we're on Columbus very quickly, Brian, we got to mention hashtag Team Marensky because I was thinking of him as a potential snoozer himself. Like if we would have done a show last weekend, I probably would have brought up Zach Marensky as a guy that maybe it's finally time to consider letting go of in shallower leagues. But Man, like I was considering dropping him the couple. Like I messaged you and you suggested that I hold on. And man, that was a good idea. Like showing signs of life again. He had a goal and two assists yesterday versus Nashville. All at even strength, which is impressive considering all the power play points he had before. Two assists versus Toronto a couple of games before that. He's got 16 shots in his four games he played last week. It looks like he's back on the top power play. We were concerned when Seth Jones took that spot, but I guess that was only for a couple of games. And Wierenski is back. Unfortunately, Columbus doesn't play again until Saturday now, but with Wierenski back on the top power play and producing, you probably have to hold on. I know a lot of people were very close to dropping him as well. We heard about that on our Facebook group, but I think like great for Zach Wierenski to keep himself fantasy relevant like all throughout the season. Yeah, so good for Wierenski. If you added Seth Jones in the meantime, then maybe it's time to reassess exactly what he's doing, although he was doing all right for himself without that power play time. Keep in mind in Columbus, like with Bjorkstrand and Wierenski and Jones and even Dubinsky, 
it's a bye week for all these guys and they're in kind of a flux situation. So like the Habs, next show is going to be really interesting. We're all going to keep an eye on what happens with Columbus coming out of their bye week, especially with regards to Bjorkstrand and Saad. Uh, they need to be watched closely once the Blue Jackets hit the ice again. Okay, one more roster move, Brian, before we get into outjuries and hot streaks and cold streaks and all that. Man, so much I want to talk about. But I've got to mention a trade. Today, Michael Stone traded from Arizona to Calgary. Maybe the exodus. This is the start of it from Arizona. Obviously, we knew that they were going to be sellers at the deadline. And Michael Stone is a guy who we've looked at as potentially the number two defenseman there. At stretches throughout the season, he was on the top power play with Oliver ekman Larson. Though sometimes it's been Goligoski, and I'd imagine, by the way, this must be good news for Goligoski, right? Now that Michael Stone is not there to get that extra power play time, it does seem like Arizona is one of those teams that loves to go three forwards and two defense, and it was jumping back and forth between Goligoski and Stone, but I feel like this is great news for Goligoski, and Michael Stone traded to Calgary. I'd imagine that can't be good for his fantasy value. Like, I imagine why Calgary is making this trade, because they want to get depth on defense, maybe replace their fifth best guy. But there's a lot of good defensemen on Calgary ahead of Michael Stone right now. So I feel like all of his fantasy value is gone. Yeah, maybe he'll pick up some blocks. I think it's a funny thing to think. I guess it's not that funny, but I think he's an improvement over Chris Russell. So even though it took almost exactly a year for them to move on from Chris Russell and bring in another NHL player, their defense has definitely handled themselves well, I don't know if that's fair, but they've been okay. Like they have that strong top three in Brody, Giordano, and Hamilton. And then there's a bit of a drop off. I think Stone helps mitigate that at least a little bit. And I think you're right, Elon, about Alex Goligoski. He, under the radar, has seven points in his last nine games. And I imagine his role grows even more with Michael Stone out of the picture. Yeah, I guess on the other end, if Verbata and Hansel, and actually we'll get to those guys in a little bit, but like these guys all get traded, maybe Arizona won't be able to score the goals that they've been scoring lately. But okay, Brian, before we get into the next segment of the show, let's thank our sponsor for the week, SeatGeek. Guys, did you know that SeatGeek is the smartest way to find hockey tickets this season? It's true because you get great deals. You get to see the value of the tickets as they're being listed. You could get notifications for when the prices change on things. They've got a 100% confidence guarantee. Like everything you need, you could find it over at SeatGeek. You'll always get the best deal on every ticket because SeatGeek price compares for you by searching multiple ticket sites. Prices can vary depending on where you shop at SeatGeek. We'll always find the lowest available price for you. I used SeatGeek, Brian, when I went to see Dave Chappelle in new orleans this past weekend wow i'm such a cool guy right it was it was a really funny show that dave Chappelle, still good such a cool guy you know you're a repeat customer of seat geek and that's great if this is your first time ever if it's going to be your first time ever using seat geek we have an incentive for you listeners of our podcast get a very special and unique reward of a 20 dollar rebate from your first purchase with seat geek all you need to do is download the app Make an account, enter the promo code KEEPING, and you will get mailed a crisp check for $20 US after you make your first purchase with SeatGeek. Man, I wonder how much longer checks are even going to be used by people. It's always so weird, these pieces of paper. That's like, come on, we all, we all have phones up. But right now, that's the best way that they can send you money. And it's really nice getting this check in the mail, walking over to the bank, getting it converted to Canadian dollars. It seems like so much more money, right? Anyway, okay, SeatGeek is great. Let's go back to fantasy hockey. Clearly, you guys aren't listening to my pontifications on technology and on comedians. So let's talk about outjuries in the NHL, specifically Jason Spezza, who's back from that mystery ailment that kept him out for five games. He's been back for three games so far. He had one assist in his first game and nothing since and only one shot on goal in each of these three games we've started getting questions Brian about if he can be dropped at this point 
which, you know, it's fair. Like we've been saying all season long through his different cold stretches that no, you have to hold on to Spezza. And whenever I was getting close to saying you can drop him, he would put up a couple of points and make me think, nah, nah, you should hang on. But he's slow again. And it looks like he was on like the third line for Dallas's game on Saturday versus Tampa. Like they were running with Ben, Eakin and Eves and then Roussel, Sagan and Sharp. And then Faxa, Shore, and Spezza. So I guess they finally split up that Sharp, Faxa, Shore line. And Patrick Sharp gets a bit of an upgrade, obviously now playing with Tyler Sagan. So maybe he's someone to look at in a deeper league if he's been dropped as a free agent. But okay, we're talking about Jason Spezza. Are we ready to give permission for people to let go? Or should they still hold an expected bounce back? Obviously, Spezza still on the top power play, but not great line mates right now. Obviously, that could change very quickly. Those Dallas lines never stay the same for long. But when he's not even giving you shots on goal, what are you really getting from him? You're not getting hits and blocks, that's for sure. Yeah, so of course, it depends on who your other options are, whether or not you're going to drop Spezza. We've mentioned already how his even strength shot rates have definitely fallen pretty far from what was a really nice 10-year peak last season. I kind of like this underdog vibe of the Spezza Faxa shoreline, but it's also not one that you can really rely on to come up with big production. Instead of looking for 60 plus from him, you're looking more at 55 or 50 if you want to be really gloomy about it, but I think that's going too low. Of course, he'll reclaim some scoring upside if he finds himself back with Ben and or Tyler Sagan, which isn't out of the question, but I wouldn't hold my breath for it if you have some more interesting options presently in free agency. And then you can just watch the line combos really closely to pick a moment, if there is one, to reclaim Spezza. Yeah, there was a question on Facebook. I think it was like wanting to drop Spezza for someone like Martin Hansel, who's been having a good week. It's tough at this point. You have someone who's shooting and getting points and is on the top line on his team. But obviously Spezza has the upside to go on a nice run as he's done for his whole career. But also it's definitely possible that he could just kind of slow down. And I wonder if Dallas is going to be sellers at the deadline. They're not looking like a playoff team at this point. So there might even be worse line mates for Spezza to play with in a little bit. So something definitely to watch. Another Audrey and a guy who has been completely underwhelming, even worse than Spezza, actually. Sammy Vatten, and he returned Friday after missing five games with a lower body injury. He's played two games so far, no points, only one shot overall. Though he was moved back to the top power play with Fowler, for what it's worth. It's like, that's, for me, the only thing about Sammy Vatten right now is he's on the top power play. So he must be capable of getting some points, but it hasn't happened. He's been there all season long. He was available in my Cupful division recently. And I asked you, Brian, hmm, maybe I should pick up Sammy Vatten. And you were like, ah. I'm over him. So if you say that, if you think I shouldn't have picked him up, that must mean he's a snoozer for people who are still holding on to him at this point, right? He's got 17 points in 51 games on the season. You're not thinking that he's going to be able to bounce back to the 38, 40, 45 point pace that he was putting up the last couple of seasons. As a Vatanen owner myself, actually in two leagues to start the year in a very shallow one where I dropped him pretty quickly. And in another where I'm still hanging on to him, except he was stashed in an injured reserve spot from like two injuries ago. So it wasn't a big deal. Uh, He's definitely snoozing. He's been crummy. He has just two assists in his last 18 games, 28 shots in that span. He has two goals on 71 shots on the season. That's over 51 games to 71 shots and two goals. I can't blame you for having some interest in him as somebody who's on the top power play. He does have 10 power play points through 51 games, and that's something that you can't completely ignore. And he's also seen nearly as much time on the power play as Cam Fowler has. The talent is definitely there. We've seen it in the past, but I don't know there's much point in having him on your roster while you're waiting for him to come alive. And as such, he does qualify as a snoozer. Elon, someone who has similar numbers to him and similar shot-taking numbers over the last little bit, Aaron Ekblad, who, like we said, keep on your roster anyway because he was throwing like three to five shots on goal per night to start the year. 
over the last little while, that's slowed down. The production's still not coming. He's also playing in a good power play spot. Who would you prefer between Aaron Ekblad and Sammy Vatanen, or are they both snoozers? Well, it's interesting you ask that now, because now, finally, Ekblad's actually got a nice little run going. Like he's going into today's game against St. Louis with a three-game point streak, so at least that's something, and he takes more shots. So I guess for now, I would go Ekblad over Vatanen, and I don't think you're going to feel too bad about it either way. Like, I really... No, no, like I, something tells me that Vatanen's going to have a small good run at some point on the top power play. If you know, it also depends if Anaheim could get things going. Like they've been shaking up their lines. That power play hasn't stayed the same. Anyways, to answer your question, I'm going to say Ekblad. Do you concur or do you go Vatanen? No, I concur. I'll go with whoever has put up a point most recently, and that's Ekblad <laughs> with the three game point streak. Huberto's back in the lineup. Barkov's healthy. Things might be starting to click a little better for Florida. I still think both guys have marginal fantasy value, but yeah, I will take Ekblad over Vatnin for now. It's going to be very much like, you know, you have your goalies, your two goalies who are equal and you go with the guy who wins or a coach would do that. Go with a hot hand, go with a hot hand between these two guys. Yeah, well, sometimes you don't have that option. I mean, Sammy Vatnin, like I said, was added in my couple division. I don't think he's coming back to free agency. Eh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he'll get dropped tomorrow. Since you mentioned Florida, let's take a quick diversion from Anaheim because I want to get back there. But you mentioned Florida. I did want to say quickly, you know that James Reimer might be the starting goalie there? Like he's playing today and it's his sixth start in nine games for Florida. And he's been doing really good. And Luongo has had a couple good games, but he's also had a couple big stinkers. Just wanted to throw that out there. Interesting things in Florida. They've got their superstars back. They've maybe got a more reliable goalie, which might be a mean thing to say about Roberto Luongo and his amazing career. But I think they're going to be an interesting team to watch. And definitely, I know we weren't planning on talking about Florida and Reimer today, but I will say if Reimer's a free agent in your league, you have to add him. I added him recently. Brian, in the league where we're against each other, I finally did it. I dropped Steve Mason for James Reimer, and I'm very happy about that switch. I bet you are. And I'm a dummy. I panicked last week in the cupful. I picked up Reimer two weeks ago, anticipating this exact situation, then thought I was in huge trouble. I needed to drop him for other guys to get skater points and categories. I totally tanked anyway. I went 0-7-1 in my last week, just limping into the playoffs. And now without James Reimer, he's not available and it's killing me. It's killing me. Why'd you have to bring it up? Sorry. Okay, so let's go back to Anaheim then. Yeah, I wanted to mention their line shakeups. Here are the lines that they've been running recently. They've been going with Getzlaff, Andre Cache, and Nick Ritchie on line one. Okay. And then Cogliano, Kessler, Silverberg. That never changes. Even though it actually did change for a couple of games. But back to that, at least in the last game. And then Perry, Raquel, and Kramer Rosa for line three. So I guess they're spreading around their guys. Perry and Getzlaff are split up. Obviously, not great news for Ricard Raquel, who was playing with Perry and Getzlaff and now plays with Perry and Kramer Rosa, which is obviously a bit of a downgrade. On top power play, they've been going with Getzlaff, Kessler, Silverberg, Fowler, and Vatanen. And if you recall, that was Ricard Raquel's spot there as well. And he's been replaced by Silverberg. So nice promotion for Silf. He doesn't have any power play points in February, so obviously he hasn't been able to do much with it. Maybe he's a guy, if you can get him, he might get a short-term boost while he's there. But Brian, I think you're going to win this bet. I'm ready to admit it. You were right about Ricard Raquel. So doesn't get too excited about these guys. I loved his position on the top line and on the top power play. But at this point, Raquel, aside from a one-goal, one-assist game versus Buffalo on the 9th of February, he doesn't have any points in seven games. He's off the top power play, no longer on a line with Perry and Getzlaff. Maybe he's a snoozer at this point. I don't even know. I don't even know what to say. You're right. You're right. I'm wrong. I'm dumb. You're smart. Did you ever watch the show Bump in the Night? No. Okay. I think that's what it was called. It was like this little green monster and there was a part of it 
where he's saying, I was right and you were wrong. I'm going to sing the I was right song. And he did that over and over. I'm tempted to do that, but I've known all along. I've been doing this since we made the bet. I've been very excited for its conclusion. Here it is. Yeah, you can drop Raquel, especially with the bye week coming up. That makes him a snoozer. Just two goals and one assist for three points in his last 10 games. 24 shots in that time, so that's okay. But again, he's not shooting like 25% anymore. So 24 shots is not going to get you the same amount of goals that it did when he first started playing this season. He also has just 11 points in his last 28 games. So even if you want to zoom out and say, well, he's doing well before this last 10, he wasn't. 11 points in his last 28 games with 54 shots in that time. So you can rely on him for like two shots a game, I guess. And hopefully, like he should be better. Like he should be half point per game. He's just not an appealing guy to have on your roster right now, though. And you'd be forgiven. If you chose to jump the gun and dropping him before the bye week starts for Anaheim in a few days, I am over Ricard Raquel. I held him all this time, so I need to drop him soon because he's a snoozer. Although there always is, like, he still has some more upside than probably a bunch of your free agents in a deep league. So you can keep that in mind. But again, with the bye week coming up, he's a hard guy to want to hold on to. First of all, Brian, your references are so obscure. No one knows a, a song from Bump in the Night. What? Uh, anyway. It's on YTV. Okay. I, which is like a channel that what, like 1% of our listeners even know what that channel is. It's, it's like the, the kids programming show in Canada. It was like an animated show. Yeah. With like plasticine sort of. Sorry, I didn't mean to get you to try modeling. to explain it. I just <laughs> was wanting to make fun of you. But anyways, no, fair enough. Ricard Raquel, he's the guy, I agree with you, you could drop him, but keep an eye out if he gets back on the top line with Getzoff and Perry and back on the top power play. He's still a very capable guy. Clearly, he's shown that he has a lot of skill. I watched a few games of Anaheim like over the season, and he always seemed to be having a big impact. I haven't watched lately. Maybe I've been jinxing it by not watching him. I don't know. But yeah, too bad for him. We'll see. Nick Ritchie, by the way, he had an assist yesterday. It was only his first point in eight games. But, you know, one of his first games playing with Ryan Getzlaff, he takes some shots, which is nice. And he also hits. So maybe he's someone to look at if you're in a really deep league. Like, I'm not saying to drop Raquel for Ritchie. But, you know, if your league counts hits, he might be a guy to look at while he's on that top line. Cache, spelled K-A-S-E. But Brian messaged me to tell me to make sure I say it correctly. He hasn't gotten any points while playing with Getzlaff. So either of those guys might be... Worth looking at. Just wanted to mention they're on that good line, but, you know, don't get too excited. Anaheim's really got to figure out how to get some points. I messaged you, but maybe we need to use, like, the official dictionary-style pronunciation codes. As far as I know, it's pronounced Kasha. So uh, you're close, I guess, even with some assistance. Good job. Uh, Nick Ritchie would be the one I'd want, like, if you're asking me if I want any of those guys because they're playing with Getzlaff. First off, I actually might prefer the guys playing with Kessler, who is leading the team in points. He's got 44 on the season, which is one more than Ryan Getzlaff, although Getzlaff has played seven fewer games. So you can probably give him the best scorer on the Ducks title. So yeah, Nick Ritchie on the top line. I mean, like he's been in good positions for a while. It reminds me of the old days with like Patty Maroon and Matt Bolesky, where you get guys cycle through and maybe they do well, maybe they don't. But at least with Nick Ritchie, if you're in a hits league, he's going to help you there. Yeah, and some shots on goal lately, which is nice. Yeah, I think Kyle Palmieri was one of those guys as well. Okay, let's go on to some hot streaks now. With eight points in his last seven games, Bo Horvat has pulled ahead of the Sedins to lead the Canucks in scoring. I wonder if this will be the last time that a Sedin leads Vancouver in scoring as they get older and start slumping themselves. But let's talk about Horvat. He's got 40 points in 59 games overall, which is a 56-point pace. 
It's crazy, though, that Horvat's been putting up all these points, and he's doing this playing with Yannick Hansen and Alex Burrows recently, and he's also not on the top power play. He's just a really solid guy that's able to produce, I guess, regardless of where he is in the lineup. I feel like if he's available as a free agent in your league, is it finally time to just snag him and hold on and expect him to give you that 55-point pace floor that he's been reliably giving you for like over a season and a half now, or do we assume he'll like slow down and be worthless because these line mates, like no one could put up this point pace with those line mates. Right. Like I'd be curious to know, let's say we talked about Bjorkstrand before who you would like at this point between Horvat and Bjorkstrand for the short term and maybe also for the rest of the season. I'm going to take Horvat and I'm also going to look for Horvat. I'm going to look past the last eight games in which he's been. Well, I'm going all the way back to two months ago. Mid-December, December 13th specifically, since then he's played 30 games. He's got 24 points in that span. 10 goals, 14 assists, 59 shots, 6 power play points. He's a top 50 scorer in the league over the last two months. And I imagine your league features more than 50 rostered forwards. So in that case, you should be running, not walking, to add Bo Horvat. And that's probably the most enthusiastic recommendation for any Vancouver Canuck that I've made all year. Yeah, we're going to get a tweet from that guy thanking you for talking about how Vancouver is good. Also, another guy that's been kind of good on Vancouver, even though we probably had left him for dead, is Alex Edler. Out of nowhere, he has six points in his last seven games. This, along with some blocks and shots, are making me consider him fantasy relevant once again. And I liked him going into this season because I thought he'd be the top power play D-man on that team, playing with the Sedins and Louis Erickson, their hot free agent pickup. Obviously, that hasn't really worked out. And Edler's not even on the top power play. It's Troy Stetcher who gets most of that time. But Edler gets a decent share himself, and he's getting like 23, 24 minutes of regular ice time per game, or I guess overall ice time. I wonder if it's worth looking at Edler as a depth D that you might want to add. Like, hey, he's not on the top power play, but he is getting power play time with Bo Horvat. Okay, so yeah, if Edler's depth contributions in depth categories help you, I guess you can add him. You know, Vancouver as a team seems somewhat confused, and I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent here that's going to undo any of the goodwill I might have earned with Canucks fans for talking up Bo Horvat. Jason Magna was playing on the top power play unit with the Zadines against Philadelphia last night. And there was a good write-up about the game and about the decision that Willie Desjardins made to put Jason Magna on the team's top power play unit by Omar uh, on Twitter. He goes by Omar Canuck. And the write-up was posted at the Daily Hive, Vancouver edition. I'm not familiar with the site, but I am familiar with Omar Canuck. And I guess when your team is 28th in the league in power play goals and power play conversion rate, the Canucks have scored just 26 power play goals this year and are scoring on less than 15% of their men advantage opportunities. Maybe you try some new things, but Jason Magna does not make a lot of sense there. He's never been someone who can score goals. Desjardins gave some excuse like he wanted a right-handed shooter, but then there's Yannick Hansen available. And then why not Yannick Hansen? Because he's a rush scorer, whatever that means. So the Canucks, I don't know. I don't know that I can trust anyone just because they're on the power play to be able to accrue points. That's why I'm really just for Bo Horvat. They also rank 28th in the league in goals per game. So yeah, I guess what I'm doing here is I'm taking the scenic route to what I generally say about owning a Canuck, which is that it's not a fantastic thing to do. And keep in mind, if they become sellers at the deadline, which apparently they're going to decide over the next couple games, it's going to become an even tougher place to put up points. So that's why I think Bo Horvat and Daniel Sedin, not Henrik, are the only Canucks you need to own right now. Edler could be good for a couple shots, a couple hits, a couple blocks, plus the occasional point. Maybe better than like Jeff Petrie, 
But keep in mind, he still has just six power play points in 46 games, and he's seen about a 40% drop in his power play minutes compared to how many he'd accrued in his many games last year. And you mentioned Troy Stetcher, Elon, also heading up one of the power play units. You know how much I love him? He stopped shooting. He had an eight-shot game back in early December, but since then, he has just 42 shots in his last 32 games with a ton of ones and zeros most recently. So yes, Bo Horvat, Daniel Sedin, full stop. Wow, yeah. Daniel Sedin, by the way, also was a guy I was starting to think maybe we have to let go of him. He's been having a really brutal year, but he has one goal and six assists in his last nine games, which is nothing crazy, but better than the barely half point per game pace he has on the season, only 34 points in 60 games. Honestly, the fact that a run like this is noteworthy to me makes me think the Sedins are pretty much snoozers or very close to it at this point. Even Daniel Sedin, like, yeah, he still takes some shots and... So, you know, he's more capable of putting up points. If your league counts shots, they're good. But man, yeah, I think I'd prefer Bo Horvat to definitely Henrik Sedin and maybe to Daniel Sedin. I don't know. I guess it depends what you're looking for. But I don't know. I think it might be over for the Sedins, though. We have said that before. Then they've gone on to have like 60, 70 point seasons following that. So maybe next year will be somehow a big boom year for them. But I am not counting on it. We had a patron, Brad, ask about dropping Daniel Sedin or Jason Spezza for Hansel or Verbata. And it was really hard not to recommend that swap. Like, let's talk about these Coyotes. We've talked about, you know, Sedin and Spezza. We're supposed to be on hot streaks here. So let's talk about some guys doing well. Obviously, we brought up a Horvat. But yeah, these Coyotes, lots of points to go around lately. Hansel has five goals in his last five games on only eight shots. So obviously, that's not sustainable. But he's also getting a bunch of blocks out of nowhere. Like, he has nine blocks in his last five games. More blocks than shots. Who would have predicted that? And the weird thing with Hansel is he just totally sometimes goes and shoots a lot and then doesn't. Like in his previous five games, he only had one assist, but on 23 shots, 23 shots and no goals. And then he takes eight shots and gets five goals. Who knows? I guess that's the randomness of hockey. And then Hansel's line mate, Radim Verbata, is on a five-game point streak himself. Obviously, there's a game tonight, so maybe that will end or be extended. All one-assist games, 17 shots in that span over these last five games. Oliver ekman Larson. Finally, you know, producing like people hope for when they drafted him. He has six assists in his last six games. Still not shooting much. Anyway, Hansel and Verbata, they play four times this week and are both available in our joint league. Brian, like we could add these guys and I'd imagine they're still available in other leagues. People don't want to jump on them, even though they're producing, I guess, just because they're on this week team. There is, though, the idea that the trade deadline is coming and people are expecting Arizona to be sellers. So maybe they could get moved. Though I wonder if maybe people might be overrating the possibility of a guy like Hansel or Verbata getting traded and the impact that could have on their value. Because on one hand, yeah, probably if like, let's say Hansel gets traded to a better team, sure, he'll play on a team with better players, which means they're probably going to score more, whatever but also I doubt he'll be able to get a top line center top power play position so I don't know whether a move would be good or bad for Hansel or Verbata but anyways in the short term both of them are doing really well Arizona somehow is scoring goals I guess a lot to do with these guys and Oliver Ekman Larson so yeah I say buy in on them grab them as free agents if you can right now like I take both of them over Oliver Bjorkstrand at the very least and I'm excited about Bjorkstrand for sure get your hands on Hansel huh but be careful or maybe he'll get injured. He's got a good schedule. He's been inconsistent in how he contributes. Like you mentioned, he sometimes has a lot of shots and no points or some points and no shots, but he's worth taking for a spin with that positive schedule ahead. Riding for Bada, what a season he's having. Tied for 23rd in the league in shots on goal. You take out a few defensemen and leave just forwards and he's in the top 20. I've been going on all year long about how steady he's been at least in the shot department for when he's going through a dry production spell, which hasn't even been that often. Patron Brad pointed out in the group today, since mid-January, Radim Verbata has had just a single game in which he's put less than three shots on goal. That means he's had three or more shots 
in 15 of his last 16 games. And the one that he didn't get three shots in, he still got to two. As for Oliver ekman Larson, great that he's getting points. I don't even care about the shots at this point. I'm just accepting whatever he gives. Beggars can't be choosers. And again, I'm going to bring up Alex Goligoski, who has seven in his last nine, and also 15 blocks in that time. So a not insignificant amount. Less than two is not great per game, but maybe he has more ice time with Michael Stone out of the picture. And Elon, I agree with you that it's a bad thing if either of these guys get dealt at the deadline because they're unlikely to be in starring roles, top line, top power play elsewhere. Contenders will see them as depth pieces to round out a top six or even beef up a top nine or a second power play unit. If they do get dealt to like a pretender though, so that's a team that thinks they have a legit shot but don't really have the roster depth and need one of these guys to take a starring role to make a real run, that could work out well. I'm not sure how many teams are ready to do that, though, in today's future-focused NHL. Well, I don't know. The current team that just made a trade today, Calgary, obviously that would be good for Verbata to play with Monaghan and Goudreau. I can see that as a good landing spot. I'm trying to think, like, maybe Montreal, if they could get Hansel to center a line with, like, Gallagher and Pacioretty. Maybe there are situations they could land in that would be good. But overall, you can't get much better than top-line, top-power play, even on Arizona. By the way, Max Domi's back. He's been doing okay. So it's not that bad, but I don't think... I think it's going to last like they're going to be trading some of these players for sure. Uh, let's go to Detroit now. Some surprising hot streaks there with Nyquist suspended. The lines have been shaken up and it seems to be working as they have had two big back-to-back wins over the weekend over Pittsburgh and Washington. Who would have predicted that Detroit would win both of those games? Before we get to the Lions, the man in nets for these games was Peter Morazic, who now has put up four straight starts, letting in two goals or fewer. Great job, Peter Morazic. Like Jimmy Howard was supposed to come back soon, but he aggravated his injury during his conditioning stint. And now Morazic is finally staking his claim before it's too late to have that start goalie job like if Howard would have came back when he was supposed to like last week then maybe we wouldn't be talking about Peter Mrazek right now but I think now we've got a goalie controversy because Mrazek is doing well like I said against really tough teams and he's keeping the puck out of the net I feel like if he has been dropped you have to take a look at him maybe he is better than a tier five goalie after all Brian reference to our Schmorgoliesborg over the summer it is worth noting, though, Detroit only plays once next week, so maybe Howard will be back after the bye. Like, I don't know how many more games Morazic will play as the uncontested starter in Detroit, but it'll be really interesting to watch after their bye week if Howard can get back to being the number one guy like he was before he got injured, now that Peter Morazic is doing pretty well. Yeah, there's not that urgency, I guess, to throw him in the net as there would have been a month ago. Peter Morazic, he's a good NHL goalie. This isn't the first time he's played well, but he has been inconsistent, and he has a poor team in front of him. And those are still two check boxes that are ticked on the undesirables checklist. So reason to be wary of Peter Mrazek, not to get too reliant on him, but it is nice to see him putting together one of his better runs of the season. But okay, onto the forwards for Detroit. I wanted to mention that this top line that they're running has been on fire lately. They've been going Zetterberg, Tatar, and Mantha. Zetterberg has 14 points in his last 12 games, which is insane. Like, is Zetterberg a sell high at this point? Or like, I don't know, we didn't expect him to be able to put a production like this. We thought he'd be a solid like 55 point guy this year. But he's up to now 45 points in 59 games, which is a 63 point pace, which is higher than I expected from him. And, you know, if you just look at the past month or so, he's been over a point per game 
Do you think that we're back at the old Zetterberg from before? Or maybe this is just like a mirage and a, a short stretch. And I'll mention Anthony Mantha. He has nine points in his last 10 games. He's a guy that, you know, was not getting used, was bumped from the top line. And you actually called it, Brian. You said, I think given the opportunity, he could go on a nice run again. And he totally has. Definitely add him if he was dropped as a free agent. Both of those guys are doing well. And that's great news for Thomas Tatar, who gets onto that line, I guess, with Nyquist injured. He has goals in each of his last two games. So I wonder if he's worth a look. I assume Mantha over Tatar. And I already asked your question about Zetterberg. So maybe I should start letting you answer things before asking you to compare all these guys like Bjorkstrand and Horvat and whoever you have as your number one guy at this point from all of the potential free agents we've been talking about. Okay, so I'll take them in the order you mentioned them. Zetterberg has seven goals and 18 assists for 25 points in his last 28 games. So this isn't just a recent thing. Although there certainly have been ups and downs. And when he's gone on big runs earlier in the season, he has disappeared for like stretches of three to five games at a time. He has 68 shots in his last 28 games too. So good things happening for him. I don't know if the old Zetterberg can really come back. That would imply that he can keep doing this through to the end of the season. I think there's going to be another valley at some point. Then there's still a possibility for another peak. But I don't think you can set your clock to this kind of production Anthony Mantha, I'm a little more optimistic in, except I think he and Zetterberg's fortunes are somewhat linked. If you're into Bo Horvat, you should be into Anthony Mantha because he is tied with Bo Horvat in scoring since December 13th with nine goals and 15 assists for 24 points in his last 28 games, 69 shots. So like a near identical scoring line to Henrik Zetterberg. And then Thomas Tatar is the least exciting player on that line to me. He was pointless in six before scoring two goals on three shots in his last two games. So if I had to rank them all, Elon, I'd go, I guess, Horvat first. He seems to be more even keel than the others, although that's really hard to say. Like, I think Horvat, Zetterberg, and Mantha are all in the same realm. And then you've got Bjorkstrand and then Tatar. You can push Tatar up if you think Bjorkstrand isn't going to hang with the roster, but I think the upside there is worthwhile because Tatar has been up and then so far down and then up. And then so far down. Also, you look at, I was talking about Vancouver's power play. Uh, A reason to be a little bit down on any of these Red Wings is that Detroit is dead last in both power play goals and power play efficiency. They're one of two teams worse than Vancouver. They have converted on just 23 of 192 man advantage opportunities this year for a conversion rate of 12%, which is just a reason to beware in general. You're not going to get a ton of power play points from any of these guys. Great to see the production out of these guys in Detroit. Bo Horvat hanging in there. I'd take Zetterberg over Horvat. I don't know. I guess for me, I still, I've always been like, I want a top line, top power play guy, especially if we're comparing him to like a guy like Henrik Zetterberg, who is in that position and producing, it would be really hard for me to want Horvat over Zetterberg. But I, I hear why you're saying it. He's, very solid. Okay, I wanted to go to St. Louis now. I'm impressed with Jaden Schwartz. He has one goal and four assists and 14 shots in his last five games. So five points in his last five. Even though he's been on a line with Berglund and Perron and he's not on the top power play, he's kind of pulling a Horvat himself, putting up points even though he doesn't have the best line mates. Things have been switched around today. There's a game going on right now, St. Louis versus Florida. And going into the game, it was announced that their lines would be Paul Stasny, who's returning today from a short injury. So Stasny, Steen, and Tarasenko. That's obviously the top line. Schwartz with Berglund and Pajarvi and then Barbashev, Lettera, and Perron. So I was going to go into this and say maybe Perron is someone to look at as a guy playing with Jaden Schwartz was doing well. But yeah, Perron and Lettera, bottom six, forget about those guys. But Schwartz, Berglund, and Pajarvis, that shouldn't really be a good line. 
I was kind of hoping that Schwartz would go play with Stasny when he came back, but no, Stasny goes to play with Steen and Tarasenko. Curious to know what you think about Schwartz moving forward. We've talked about Steen a lot this year as someone who we, you know, we were concerned about because he wasn't doing anything, and then he started doing well, and he was back on the top power play, but Schwartz is another guy we had really high hopes for going into the season. He hasn't really delivered. Like He currently has 37 points in 55 games for a 55-point pace, which is pretty much the floor of what I would have expected from him. Do you think he can be better moving forward, even if he doesn't get back with Tarasenko? Like, do you think that we could expect a 60-point pace from Jaden Schwartz, not on the top line and not on the top power play? The weird thing about his production lately is that it's been in the form of assists. He has 16 points in his last 19 games, so even before just the last few. And that's thanks to 14 assists. That's not the way we expect Jaden Schwartz, who is a 24-year-old with two 25-goal seasons under his belt, to produce. But you take what you can get in St. Louis these days, and right now the getting's pretty good with Jaden Schwartz. I can find pluses and minuses in those most recent numbers that you mentioned. Elon, two of his four assists over his last few games, they came from the night of Berglund's hat trick, but 11 of the 14 shots on goal in this little stretch are from the last three games, which is actually really heartening. He now has three games in a row with three or more shots. The previous trio of three-plus shot games that he was able to put together took place over a 27-game span. So some improvement there. And that could be, hopefully, an indication that the goals might start to come. Is heartening the opposite of disheartening? Like, that's good if something is heartening? Yes, exactly. I never heard that used like that. Okay, and then since we're in St. Louis, these goalies, all of a sudden, things have totally flipped. Like, Jake Allen has a 934 save percentage in seven games in February. Five of those games were wins. Finally, the guy people drafted, Jake Allen, they wanted a solid goalie on a solid team. Finally, he's putting up those numbers. I wonder how many people who drafted him actually still have him after that horrible, horrible stretch he had for many months. Like, Brian, I know you hate this because I just keep rubbing in all of the decisions you've made. But I recall at one point you had the opportunity to swap Rene for Allen. I think you would have even gotten a sweetener there. Are you regretting that switch at this point? Or do you think you still made the right decision to hold on to Rene? Can Allen keep this up? Or is this like time to sell high ASAP because he's not this goalie? He's the guy from two months ago that could barely put up a 900 save percentage. I'm not feeling so bad about it. No, I still like Rene. And I don't know. Allen is doing well. I think Rene can probably do just as well. As we talked about in our patron group uh, over the last week, the Blues seem to be back to be playing the zone defense scheme that worked so well for them and their goalies. And that was before they got bounced from the playoffs with really strong teams for two years straight. So Ken Hitchcock and the whole ownership group in front office felt like they needed to change something going into the season. They did. It was a defensive scheme and it didn't work for anyone. Ken Hitchcock got fired and now they're back to what worked previously for them. And they deemed to be a failure because it didn't get them to the Stanley Cup. Anyway, all that to say, I don't think Jake Allen like his gone from like a 900 goalie to a 950 goalie I still consider him about league average I'm not going to make any big decisions just based on a couple games but it is really nice for Jake Allen owners who've been waiting all year for something good to happen something good is happening yeah that's nice and then the backup like when they don't play Allen they've got Carter Hutton and he's gotten shutouts in the last two games he's played which normally should be good enough for him to get another game but Allen's doing so well that he's still playing the backup but all of a sudden Hutton's looking like a really good spot start when you can get him in that definitely wasn't the case even just a month ago. And Brian, since we're on goalies, I'm going to give you a couple quick goalie takes. Maybe I'll just throw them all out at you and then you could chime in on the ones you want at the end. So I already mentioned Reimer playing six of the last nine games for Florida. 
today, Florida's winning one nothing. We're halfway through the game, so Reimers and Nets, and who knows how this game will end, but it's looking like another good one for him so far. Then we've got Neuverth, who seems to have taken over the starter's job in Philly for now, as he's played every game so far in February, except for one. So that's seven games to Mason's one game. Neuverth, you know, he's been doing decent enough lately, aside from a stinker versus Edmonton last week, when he played in the second half of a back-to-back. And I don't know why Philly needed to play Neuverth in the second half of a back-to-back, like when you have Steve Mason as your backup or, you know, 1B goalie. But anyways, I wonder what you think about if Mason owners should, like, at least swap Mason for Neuverth. You know, maybe if there's not too many other good goalies available for you. I wonder even just between these two, if it's time to make the swap. Maybe you're just tired of me talking about the Philly goalie situation at this point, and you're just going to say to move on. Then I also wanted to go to the Islanders and mentioned Thomas Grice, who's totally fallen off a cliff himself. He was having such a great season, but now in the last month, he has an 897 save percentage in his last 11 games. I wonder maybe if it's time to buy low on Thomas Grice. He was a 925 save percentage guy last year and was close to that this year before this huge dip, which has brought him down to a 917 guy, but he's still the number one goalie on the Islanders, and I really like him. Like I'm really surprised that he's been having these struggles. Uh, Okay, I guess I'll stop. I have one more goalie that I'll mention later, but why don't you chime in with any thoughts you have on Neuverth or Reimer or Grice. Okay, well, let me start with Neuverth, who you said has been decent enough, and other people are saying, well, he's got to be the starter. He's an 879 goalie over his last five starts. In those five starts, just one quality start and two really bad starts. You go back to Mason's last five starts, he's an 894 goalie, <laughs> clearly better. Ryan, uh, you're, you're cherry picking here. Like, what about Neuver's like five starts before the most recent five starts? Didn't he have like four straight really amazing games? Well, no, but he you're going based off this current run where it looks like he's established himself as the number one goalie just by virtue of playing. And I understand that you add value to whoever is getting the net. That's totally fair. I just think it's odd to consider Neuverth any better than Mason just because he's had the net. When he's had the net, He's blown it, as Mason did. So they both have left the number one job or continue to leave it wide open. I also had a chance to acquire Steve Mason, by the way, and I backed off on that, and I'm glad that I did. Um, so I don't know, Elon, if you have Mason, if now is a time to swap for Neuverth. I don't know when the Flyers say, okay, this isn't working, back to Steve Mason, or if they get to that point, it is something to watch. Like I feel like neither goalie might be worth owning, depending on your format. And then Thomas Grice... Patron Kyle pointed out something very good in the group today. He said 17 of the Isles' remaining 24 games this year are on the road, including a nine-game road trip, and the Isles also have seven back-to-back outings remaining this season. So that either means Grice is going to be worked like a dog and he's going to have a lot of games where he's not getting rested, and we know the effects of playing both nights of a back-to-back. You are generally worse the second night, as is the team in front of you. Or it means that J.F. Barubi is worth considering picking up if he does get the second half or first half of some of those back-to-backs. I get that Thomas Grice was good and now he's not doing well. I still lean towards him being a shade above league average, but that schedule and the team in front of him, and that's another team that could become sellers before long, they certainly make an above-average save percentage, more of an uphill battle than it was when he was rattling off all those great starts. Maybe I shouldn't have said an average save percentage because he has a fair bit of control over that, but his solid goals against average and getting wins. That's going to be hard for him over this really tough schedule with a week and maybe 
to be further weakened team. I know my syntax is off, but I hope you can roll with it. Yeah, Brian, we'll roll with the syntax. One more goalie I wanted to bring up here. Aaron Dell is having a really great low-key backup season. I remember, Brian, what was it, like a month ago? You made fun of me for having brought up Aaron Dell at some point. I still remember that. And, you know, he's good, actually. Aaron Dell as the backup for San Jose. We talked about Grubauer being an amazing backup to own as someone who you might want to hold on to instead of trying to cycle him in because he's such a solid spot star whenever he plays, very likely to win. Aaron Dell, I feel like, is the exact same as Grubauer. Like, he has a 934 save percentage. He has seven wins in the 12 games he's played. I guess he doesn't play as much as Grubauer. But, Brian, you told me something about how you were reading that Dell might be getting more starts moving forward. So maybe you could chime in on that and if you think Dell is close to Grubauer territory. I feel like these are the two best pure pure backups that you can grab at for spot starts or maybe just to hold as your third goalie in fantasy right now okay so i'm going back through our g talk history and i can't find myself making fun of you for bringing up erin dell are you sure that happened it was on the show i remember like i was saying something about how you talked about a player and i was saying something like why are you even talking about that guy and then you were like oh coming from the guy who brought up erin dell at the start of the season something like that okay well I still maybe I I can't stand by it because I don't really remember it. But I mean, look at how many games he's gotten to play, especially before, like take out the last month. And he has been one of the least playing backups of the season. But at this point, and actually, Elon, a week and a half ago, I mentioned to you that he's someone you might want to add because, yeah, Martin Jones has played a ton this year. He's played the second most minutes amongst all NHL goalies. Only Cam Talbot has played more. And by the way, Martin Jones has been good. 60% quality starts. Jones started 65 games last year. So far this year, he started 50 games. The Sharks have 22 games left to play. Do the quick math. If Martin Jones starts 65 again this year, that leaves seven more starts for Aaron Dell over the rest of the season. In essence, about one per week. And why not try to give him those starts? Because he's shown to be capable of handling the odd game, unlike Sharks' backups of the past, such as Alex Stalock, as you might remember. So yeah, Dell has been reliable, and you wonder if it's best for Jones to start resting up. Yeah, he posted a 923 in last year's postseason after starting 65 games. So you say, well, why doesn't he just do that again? Well, compound those 65 starts from last year with 24 playoff starts, and then a short summer, and then another 65 starts. That's an even more intense workload than it seemed like last year. So why not throw Aaron Dell a net That's my argument for getting him more starts down the stretch. I would get him in for as many games as I could afford to if I were the coach. If you're somebody who owns Philip Grubauer or in a league where someone else owns Philip Grubauer, it's a good time to go after Aaron Dell, uh, especially after the Sharks bye week ends. Yeah, if he's going to play these more games, as you seem to have calculated he should, assuming they're not going to play Martin Jones like for a million games, like, why do they need to play Martin Jones so much when Aaron Dell's proving to be such a capable backup? Like, that wasn't the case last year. Sounds like had bad goaltending. Now they seem to have a really good backup. Let's keep playing Aaron Dell until he shows that he can't be trusted. Like, San Jose is clearly in the playoffs anyways. Uh, on the other side for San Jose, in case you haven't noticed, Thomas Hurdle has been playing on line three in San Jose with Joel Ward and Nikolai Goldobin. So... Thomas Hurdle, like definitely a snoozer. If you grabbed him while he was injured and were excited about him, he's even worse to me than like a Brandon Gallagher. Like you have to dump Tomas Hurdle if he's not playing with the Jones or not even in the top six. Like overall, he's got 15 points in 28 games, but I have no interest in him right now. LeBanc was online one with the Joes, but he was into the minors today, probably because the Sharks are on a bye week. These bye weeks don't even get me started. 
Also interesting to note, Joe Thornton owners can finally maybe rest a little easy. He's finally producing again. He's had a five-game point streak that recently was halted yesterday, but he was doing well. I know a lot of people were concerned about him, so that's good. But let's get to the main story on San Jose, which is Brent Burns. He's on a four-game point streak. He has 18 points in his last 15 games. He leads the league in shots on goal with 242. Last year, we were so impressed with him being second in the league behind Ovechkin, but now he's ahead of Ovechkin. Ovechkin has 220, Brent Burns 242, and Burns is closing in on Crosby and McDavid for the league lead in points. McDavid has 67, Crosby has 65, you know, in a few fewer games, but whatever, and Brent Burns has 64, so he's three points away right now from the Art Ross Trophy. Like, who could have predicted this? Brent Burns is so amazing. If your league counts shots, he's probably, he's definitely like the most viable player in your league, or he has been. I can't believe I picked Carey Price in the league where we against each other, Brian, when I could have had Brent Burns with the fifth overall pick. Ah, he's so good. Like, who do you think is going to win this Art Ross Trophy? Is it going to be McDavid, Crosby, or Burns? It's hard not to bet on Burns right now. Like, though, to be fair, it's not as if McDavid has slowed down. Like, it's not as if people are catching up to him because he is slowing. Like, McDavid has seven points in his last four games, so he's doing fine. But Brent Burns keeping pace with that, and so is Sidney Crosby. It's going to be a fun race. I think it's between those three. Yeah, keep in mind, Crosby has played seven less than McDavid, eight less than Brent Burns, and that's why I'm still going to go with him. It's amazing for Brent Burns that he's still in this discussion and he also has had a crazy workload over the last couple of years. The minutes he plays, he hasn't missed a regular season game in more than two and a half years. And he also played 24 extra games into a shortened summer going into this season. So for him to come all the way to this point, the way he has and look like he's just going to keep going is amazing. His numbers this year are impressive in about a hundred different ways. And you just documented several of them. So I won't retread. Way to go, Brent Burns. Yeah. And okay. Speaking of Connor McDavid who I brought up as someone, obviously, in this race for the Art Ross Trophy. I don't have a guy on the streak exactly yet, but we got to mention Jordan Eberle has been moved back to a line with Connor McDavid and Pat Maroon. So all those Jordan Eberle owners who we said, oh, maybe you should hold on because if he gets back with McDavid, something good could happen. It's happening now. Who knows how long it'll last, but unsurprisingly, he has a goal and two assists in his last two games. I'm talking about Jordan Eberle here. So it's probably time to jump back on the train, at least while he's on that line. Maybe he'll stay there for a bit longer this time. It's worth noting that Leon Dreisaitl, who's bumped from the McDavid line, he's still riding a three-game point streak, so perhaps he can still keep his great season going even without playing with McDavid. He's still on the top power play with McDavid, Lucic, and Letestu. And Oscar Clefbaum, who has reclaimed the top power play spot in Edmonton from Andre Sekera. For a while, it looked like Clefbaum was going to be only on the second power play. Maybe they're going to keep switching back and forth, just like they switch Jordan Eberle and Leon Dreisaitl from that McDavid line. But what am I getting at here? I'm saying grab Jordan Eberle if you can. Brian, you've been saying that you like Eberle, but you know obviously he hasn't been that good, and he clearly has shown that he can't be relied on to put up too many points, not on the McDavid line, but while he's there, he's great. I say grab Clefbaum if he's going to be on the power play with McDavid, and I say don't worry too much about Dreisaitl because he seems to be pretty solid no matter where he plays. Yeah, whether this is just to get Eberle going or he's going to stay there for good, time will tell. But if you want to make a preemptive add on him without worrying too much about what the future holds, you certainly could do worse than picking up a still young 60-plus point player who is beginning to show signs of life. Leon Dreisaitl, got to eat some crow here. Uh, he's been amazing, and he continues to be amazing without Connor McDavid at this point. And there was optimism from others who watch the Oilers more than I do about what Dry could do away from McDavid, that he could handle centering his own line. And those people have been right so far. He's helping Lucic get back on the board with two points in three games after Lucic gone dry for a bit before that. Anton Slepeshev is the third piece on that line. That's interesting. He's played well in the AHL. He only played 10 games there. He's been a healthy scratch a couple times in Edmonton. 
this year. Not a lot of points to show for what he's played, but I wonder now it's like, who can Leon Dreisaitl help score? Uh, also worth mentioning, Ryan Nugent Hopkins back on the board lately with three points in his last two games. Anyone you talked about Oscar Clefbaum? Yeah, he's pretty much a must add as long as he's on that top unit. And if you have Sekera, I mean, he stepped up his blocks a little bit, but otherwise he's mostly unimportant. But as you said, there's a good chance that he could end up back on that top unit. We've seen him leave that unit and then go back before this season. And then my last comment on Edmonton, Elon is about that top power play unit with Mark Latestu. He has three power play points in his last 24 games. So I don't know why they have him up there still. I guess they like what he offers the unit still, even though he's not in on any goals they're scoring. I would personally prefer stacking that unit and having Eberly or Nugent Hopkins up on that top unit. But that is just me. I don't coach the others. I have a podcast about fantasy hockey. <laughs> hey, you know, that's not too shabby. Nothing to sneeze at. But hey, you can't really judge the Oilers coaching too badly since they're confidently in a playoff spot right now. They're having a great season. So good for them. And I guess they like what they're doing with their two power plays. They've got now some good people on the second power play. And sometimes that's nice to have. But I do think Sekera probably is a snoozer. He's like pointless in seven games now. Maybe when he gets back on the top power play, you could add him again. But I don't think anyone's going to rush to add him if you drop him right now for someone else who's like a hotter hand. And I'll also note, Chris Russell is going to be back tomorrow for the Oilers. I just read that. So if you want some blocks, he's been injured for a while, but he's going to be back. I assume he's just going to get right back to give you all those blocks once again. I've got one more hot streak for you, Brian, and then a cold streak. Okay, so hot streak first. Ryan Spooner scored yesterday for the Bruins versus San Jose, which puts him on a three-game point streak, and he has eight points in his last nine games. So Ryan Spooner, another one of these guys, not on a great line. Like He's on line three, playing with Vetrano and Hayes, but he has been on the top power play with Marshawn and Bergeron and Pasternak, and he's someone who was hot before, and we were excited about him, or at least I was saying he's a guy worth adding, but that was when he was on a good line, and then he went cold. Now he's hot again. Curious to know what you think, Brian. Is he going to be able to keep up this point pace moving forward, or do you think this is like a mirage, and Spooner, especially on the third line, won't be able to keep up the great pace that he's been on over the past couple of weeks? I think it's, you know, there's no real evidence of it yet, except that he's still doing well. Uh, I think... Claude Julien getting fired. Claude Julien seemed to be somebody who had Ryan Spooner intermittently in the doghouse. So I wonder how long it'll be until we see something like that happen again, where he's not getting minutes. Uh, He has 19 shots in the span you just mentioned, and he has two of the highest minutes totals of this calendar year in his last two games played. So that all bodes very well for him. I'm into him. Also, Frank Vitrano in shots on goal, even when he's not putting up points. I think if the Bruins played before Wednesday, he'd already be gone in a lot of your leagues. So if he's still out there, consider him before the Bruins next game on Wednesday. Okay, and since this is too much optimism for keeping Carlson, let's end the show on a down note. I wanted to mention Nikolai Ehlers and the Winnipeg Jets. We've gotten a few questions on the Facebook group saying, can you please talk about Ehlers? Like, what's going on with this guy? He's pointless in eight games. How is this happening? Like Ehlers was having such an amazing season. He hasn't been dropped out of the bottom six. I remember last year, you know, when he had his cold stretch, that was when he wasn't playing with the Littles and the Wheelers. But he's got great line mates. He's on a line with Little and Wheeler. But they're also both in slumps. Like Wheeler has just one goal and one assist in his last seven games. Little's pointless in five games. 
But like focusing on Ehlers here, he has 47 points in 62 games on the season now, 62-point pace. Eight games ago, we were talking about him as having 47 points in 54 games for a 71-point pace. So that pace changes quickly when you go pointless for this long. But what do we do at this point? Like, Are we assuming everything is fine here and all of these Winnipeg Jets players will bounce back? Or perhaps should Ehlers and little owners be a bit worried? Like, it must be especially frustrating to hold these guys since Winnipeg only plays Tuesday this week and then doesn't play for a while. So are you really going to burn a spot on your roster for Ehlers and little to not play any games? And maybe when they come back, they'll continue to not put up any points. I'm not worried about Wheeler. I'll give you Wheeler. He's awesome. Ehlers, though, should be really good. And Brian Little also had been so good after coming back from his injury. But right now, I'm a bit concerned about both of those guys. Yeah, really bad timing for this to be happening. It's bad enough that they go cold for this long. It's even worse that it happens just as you're really wondering how much they're worth to your team. Ehlers and Little both still averaging over two shots on goal per game each. That's nice. I think you just can't panic. You were getting a 70-point pace from Ehlers before, and that was too much to expect. So if you own him, you've got to take this bad with all the good that you've gotten so far, even though the timing is rough for some of us, I expect him to be fine in the long run and get back to a 60-point pace. Same with Brian Little, maybe a bit less of a pace. Again, it's just been a tough time for that line. Eight games is a long time for players to go cold. That's like 10% of the season. So I, yeah, I don't know what to advise you at all, aside from hold on if you can. If you're desperate, then you don't have a choice. Uh, but I think... Better times are ahead for both of them. And Elon, I don't want to end the show on a down note. So how about we mention that Shifley and Liney both still doing very well on their line, 12 points in their last 10 games each. The third piece on that line lately has been Matthew Perot, who has two goals and three assists for five points in nine games. So he's someone you might want to keep an eye on in your league. If he's available, having the third piece of that top line could be very appealing Except, of course, the whole bye week thing. So maybe wait till that's over. Yeah, but it is interesting. You've all of a sudden got like Perot, Spooner. We've talked about some other guys. Bjorkstrand, like some fun names. Tweet us at Keeping Carlson. Let us know if you have any decisions you have to make about your lineup for this week and for the rest of the season. We always love to hear from you at Keeping Carlson. Thanks to all of you for listening once again. Thanks to everyone here in the chat room who has been great. It's always fun to follow along in the chat room. And if you want to watch live and join the live chat room while we record, it's every Sunday moving forward. No more of these weird schedules. Every Sunday. 8 p.m. You just go to keepingcarlson.com slash live and you'll get redirected to the Google Hangout and the and the fun chat rooms. So this has been a lot of fun. If you like the show, you want to help us out, why not go ahead to iTunes? Give us a five-star review. That really helps us. I don't even know if Google Play has something similar. Anything you could do to give us a good rating somewhere helps us get more listeners. I know you don't want to tell the other people in your league about Keeping Carlson, so the least you could do maybe is just give us a good rating anonymously on the internet. Also, if you really like the show and you want to support us monetarily, you can always check out our patron program for only $5 a month. You help us out and you get some really nice perks like joining the patron-only Facebook group and you get to have access to our monthly patron cast. The next one is on March 1st. So I guess that's a week and a little bit from now. So that'll be a lot of fun. That's an episode just like this, except the patrons come up with the content and they ask questions and we don't stop until we've answered all of their questions. So if you're interested in that, check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But with that, I think... We're good for this week, so why don't we cue that outro music, and Brian, go ahead and read us the credits. All right, this episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Corsica Hockey, Hockey Analysis, Hockey Reference, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, Dauber Prospects, and Fantrax. Great job, as always, Brian. I look forward to doing this all again with you next Sunday. 
Until then, keep on keeping Carl Sun.